Hey weirdos, I'm Deidre, and this is Weird Animal Facts. Explicit! A show dedicated to the weird, odd, unusual, gross, and oftentimes disturbing facts about animals. As a zookeeper, I have worked with my fair share of weird animals. But neither of the animals we're talking about today are those animals that I've worked with. As one is found so deep in the ocean that some claim that it doesn't even exist, and it's probably just a hallucination of some marine biologist who spent way too long without oxygen. And the other looks as though it's got a dick as a nose. The deep sea anglerfish and proboscis monkey. All right, that's enough jibber jabber. Let's get started. Way down deep in the depths of the ocean lives an animal so ugly that mother nature and God has shunned it from visibility. Down in the darkest reaches of the sea, lives a fish that some say sold the only beauty it had left for a single speckle of light. Others claim millennia ago, the female sacrificed the male stature for dominance, a lantern, and the will to survive. Who is to know the corrupt origin of such a weird and unusual creature? Scientists, perhaps? The world may never know. Deep Sea Anglerfish, the original Grim Reaper. They say that when you die, you see a light at the end of the tunnel. What if that light came illuminating from the dark, vast emptiness of the deep pitch black sea we call reality? This speckle of light that appears in the darkness is the unfortunate reality for unlucky aquatic life that dare call over a mile into the deep dark sea home. Some near the size of a bowling ball or larger can weigh as much as a Russian gymnast. A female anglerfish lures unsuspecting prey with a dangly light that is attached to its forehead. Sharing a similar expression to the Russian gymnast, this grumpy-looking fish has more than just its ugly appearance and loneliness to be upset about. As a female, I can relate to some of the harsh realities that the female anglerfish has to endure. Like when I want to take my six-foot-two, in heels, glammed up self to a dark, shady nightclub to dance and drink in peace, I somehow find myself with five-foot short guys stalking and wanting to grind up on me. Maybe if they turned off the flashing lights and exit signs, it would be harder for those shorties to find me. But then again, that may invite acceptable excuses as to why that hand ended up there. Lucky for me, I can get a lift home and return to the harassment-free zone of my apartment. And lucky for those horny men, there are plenty of fish in the sea. Which isn't necessarily the case for the tiny male anglerfish, because luckily for women who like to get all dolled up on occasion, there are many nightclubs with schools of other people wishing to get their freak on. Whether that be dancing like no one is watching, or finding a temporary suitor for the night. But for the anglerfishes of the sea, there aren't crowded nightclubs for them to swim into and allow intoxicated and lower moral standards to select their temporary mate. It's kind of more similar to those old westerns when the cowboy gets stranded in the desert and is aimlessly wandering the dusty landscape for even the slightest fraction of water. Then, once he finds it, he slams his face into the liquid. And it doesn't matter if it's a nasty horse trough or a small murky pool of water with a decaying vulture carcass covered in magus decomposing beside it. Once that cowboy somehow wanders into any residence of water, no matter how ugly, he's going to make a point to hold the fuck on. A male anglerfish, by the way, is much smaller than the female. For a size comparison, it'd be like a male kitten, like a little tiny kitten, 
in comparison to an adult woman. Tell me I'm pretty. Only the kitten sinks its teeth into the female to never let go. Meow. I love you. The actual anglerfish males are only a couple inches long, and when attached to the large-mouthed, curvy-looking fish creature, known as the female, looks more like an overgrown skin tag. And imagine if that grown woman was a crazy cat lady. <laughs> And she had multiple little mutant kittens attached to her. This is the reality for a number of female anglerfish. But how does that work? From what I know of sex and mating, for most vertebrates, a dingling needs to go into a hoo-ha so that the sperm can be shot into the egg. Fun fact! There are over 200 species of known anglerfish. And not all of them behave the same. While some tiny males search their entire lives to be a permanent parasitic stalker to a female, the deep-sea anglerfish male is a bit more of a midnight player. Once he finds a female and fertilizes her eggs, he detaches, looking for his next fat bottom girl. As fish, the anglerfish have external, external fertilization, meaning they don't ever get to experience the pleasure of intercourse. Instead, the female will lay a bunch of eggs, then her little creepy hitchhiker boyfriend will ejaculate over top of them, resulting in fertilization. Howdy y'all, we're Mother Nature and God, and we've been renovating animals for over one billion years. When trying to meet our clients' needs, we look at the ecosystem as a whole, as well as our clients' need to survive. Welcome, Welcome to, to Animal, animal Renovations. renovations. Today, we'll be helping out the deep sea anglerfish family. And they're an unusual couple with some very unconventional requests. Typically, when we renovate animals, the client is looking for an updated look, where I get to work my design magic and incorporate a bit of my whimsical style. But the anglerfish is definitely putting me to the test. Unlike the Bush Viper family we renovated not that long ago, who won the vibrant look with custom scales, the anglerfish expressed explicit instruction to use inspiration from H.P. Lovecraft and a fleshy Muppet. I got to work right away, as our clients told us straight out the door that appearances weren't all that important to them, as they don't really care for sunlight, nor being able to see where they're going. Because of that comment, I decided to minimize the eyes so to give Mother Nature more design space to work with. <laughs> She needs a good challenge here and there. But before I turn things over to her, I had a few more exterior projects to finish up on. Typically, I like to cover fish in scales. But seeing that the anglerfish lives in the dark open without many predators, I didn't see a need for them and left the exterior with a bare minimum. The skin itself was easy as there weren't really any bells or whistles that needed to be added. And without scales, all I had to do for Mrs. Anglerfish was to shape that thin, flappy skin into a basketball shape and enlarge it so that it was more than three times the size of Mr. Anglefish. God tried to turn things over to me at this point, but I sent that foundation right back, telling him that I needed a bit more from his construction team if we were to execute the unusual vision I had for our clients. I had God install a few soft medieval spikes on all the fins and tail as I had a feeling that even though our clients didn't care for appearances, they would care a bit about functionality and protection. Especially since God didn't do much with that exterior structure. I can always count on good old Mother Nature for inspiration. Seeing that the anglerfish cared more about functionality than good looks, I thought, 
what could be more functional than being able to eat? Especially if there's not much swimming around in their very dark, open floor plan of the ocean. I told myself that if this girl was going to eat, I was going to ensure that she got the food she was hunting. I slid open her mouth so wide that anything nearby will be sure to go in. And to top it all off, I threw him some nice, long, spiked teeth to ensure our client gets her mail. With God finally on the right track, I was able to add one special feature so to better highlight God's modifications to the mouth. Even though our client expressed their interest of the darkness, my thought is that everyone can use just a little bit of light. With the use of bioluminescent bacteria, a feature I was sure the anglerfish would love, I had God create a long, movable two-black structure to the roof of the anglerfish where I then added in the bioluminescence bacteria. And seeing how particular Mrs. Anglerfish has been during this process, I knew that she would greatly appreciate some control. Because of that, Mother Nature had me wire in a manual control for the bioluminescence so that Mrs. Anglerfish could lure in food directly into her custom God-made mouth. Bioluminescence, bio, bio, bioluminescence. Let me hear you lie my way, you bioluminescence. What are bioluminescence bacteria, you ask? All right, well, think of it like that science project of a volcano. At the base of your papier-mâché mountain is baking soda. So, to impress the judges, and to give off the illusion that you understand chemistry, you pour in the vinegar, and voila! You've created a chemical reaction! That's what bioluminescence bacteria do, so to give the deep-sea anglerfish's lure that glow. Two chemicals come together that then create change and result in a different thing. Chemical reaction! For the anglerfish's case, it's when oxygen gets together with luciferin. Fun fact, the word luciferin comes from the Latin word lucifer. Most of us are familiar with lucifer as another name for the devil himself, which makes me question mother nature's relationship with him. Like where'd she get that bioluminescence from? And does God know about it? The word Lucifer itself means light-bearing, hence why some scientists decided to name this molecule luciferin. Not only can the female anglerfish turn on and off the bioluminescence like a light switch, she can also move it around like you do a cat toy on a string. Only her goal is to eat the critter on the other line, not to try to get a cute adorable picture of your kitty. However, that disco ball that moves about isn't just for luring in food, it's also for luring in the men. Like I said, it's a big ocean. And at the depths the anglerfish live, it's really dark. Imagine trying to find a mate while wandering around in Antarctic winter. Oh, by the way, wintertime in Antarctica has six months of darkness. <gasps> Quick, turn the light on! But let's say, as a tiny blind man wandering across that frozen landscape, you see something. Which is odd in itself because you've never seen anything before. You thought you were blind up until now. And if this is the first time you've ever seen something, you'll make like a moth to a flame and hightail it over there. Lucky for you, it's a giant lady. Oh yeah. Now she may not be sexy or all that attractive. In fact, she has a pretty gnarly underbite. But your hormones take over and your brain steps in to calculate the chances of you ever finding a woman to mate with ever again. 
However, you do notice that you're not the only small fry with this idea. But that's okay. You've always had a curiosity for group sex. So you hurry on over and join the other tiny men and attach to this giant ugly lady. Science isn't sure if the lady anglerfish really cares or notices all those men. As Darwin would say, all animals want to do is eat, sleep, and fuck. But the process of a male anglerfish attaching to the female is quite weird and appears to be the inspiration to many alien horror movies. Typically, when we humans get a parasite, our body goes into high gear to keep us safe as it begins to reject this foreign creature. And one would think that the female anglerfish's body would reject this new creepy guy who's been hanging around. Once the male attaches to the female, their skin tissue fuses together, and then her circulatory system will then cycle through him so that he doesn't die and gets all the nutrients he needs without having to go through the trouble of hunting or chewing. Plus, he gets to jerk off every time she lays eggs. When a person gets a new liver, they have to take drugs called immunosuppressors so that their body's immune system doesn't murder that new liver that's only there trying to save their life. The anglerfish's immune system is missing a few screws, meaning when that little dude latches on, the female's immune system does not produce antibodies and pretty much just opens up the door for all the men she could ever dream of. But this makes me wonder, if the anglerfish isn't able to create the needed antibodies, how do they defend themselves against other parasitic threats that may want more than just a fuck? The truth is, science is working on it. There's a lot that goes on in the ocean that we don't know about. In fact, we know more about the surface of Mars than we do about the surface of the ocean. But with time and better funding, science can answer all of our most curious questions. And I have a question for you. Are you ready for me to make a mockery of science? It's time for... Scientific Names Are Hard. This is the part of the show where I read the scientific name of this animal. My roommate Emily writes on a sheet of paper the scientific name, which I do not read until this moment. So let's give it a try and read it. Melano... Melanocetus Johnstino... Yeah, Melanocetus John... Johnsoni. Melano... Melano... Melanocetus Johnstoni. That was the scientific name of the deep sea anglerfish. It's the transition song from going to one topic to the next. It's the transition song so that we have no awkward silence. Proboscis monkey, the clown nose of monkeys. The proboscis monkey comes from Borneo, but looks more like Michael Constantine. You know, the dad from my big fat Greek wedding? Large nose and a pot belly. However, in the late 1800s Borneo, due to the Dutch colonization, the monkeys were called Dutch monkeys. As I guess that's what all the Dutch colonizers looked like. What a fantastic insult to the colonizers. Yeah, you can colonize us, but we're gonna name you after this weirdo looking monkey. Suck it, Netherlands! Also, proboscis monkeys are orange in color, like Netherlands national team's uniform. Fun fact, have you ever wondered why the hell the Netherlands wear orange? It's because it's the color of the Dutch royal family, the House of Orange Nassua, William of Orange, Crown Prince of Orange in 1544, also called William the Silent. 
and paintings of him make him look like a sneaky little bastard. A perfect trait for stealing lands from natives. But as a reminder, the proboscis monkey are from Borneo. The mangrove swamps of Borneo, not the Netherlands. Borneo! For those of you who have been following along this year's episodes of our podcast, will remember the butterfly episode and how we said a very familiar word you've heard in today's episode title of the monkey. Proboscis! According to good old Merriam-Webster, a proboscis is any various elongated or extendable tubular processes of the oral region of an invertebrate, or the trunk of an elephant, also any long flexible snout, or the human nose, especially when prominent. In the male proboscis monkey's case, their snoot is normally between four to seven inches long. But what's the point? We know with butterflies, from listening to the butterfly episode, go check it out if you haven't, that their proboscis is used to slurp up nectar. And from looking at this odd-looking monkey, I think we can easily determine that's not what he's using it for. Yeah, the ladies have a bit of a nose, too. That looks more like the live-action Cindy Lou Who, but it's the men with the big, round, long, floppy nose. But why? Scientists believe it's to sound sexy, or scary, depending on if they're horny or there's some asshole in their turf. Working to amplify their noise, the proboscis monkey has a variety of different types of calls. Shrieks! Honk! Roar! Brace! Honestly, they kind of sound like a donkey getting fucked by a goose, and it would be the goose doing the fucking because geese are dicks! Speaking of dicks, in my opinion, the nose of the male proboscis monkey looks like a dick stuck right in the middle of their face, just dangling about for the world to cringe at. And as weird as this monkey looks, their internal workings are just as weird. And it has to do with that pot belly we talked about earlier and their diet, which is actually very unlike us American, whose diet is mostly hot dogs and beer, which does give us the same looking belly, but we have a pretty simple digestive system. We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to remind you of how the human digestive system works. Here's a clip from the Whitetail Deer and Mutt Jack episode. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you've guessed it, it's digestion time! In case you missed that Magic School Bus episode from 26 years ago, here is human digestion in a nutshell. Bring cookie to mouth, chew cookie with teeth, swallow cookie down esophagus, Cookie lands in stomach and breaks down thea, acid, and enzymes. Cookie essence, as it doesn't resemble a cookie any longer. Cookie essence travels down small intestines for nutrients to be absorbed and more enzymes to break it down. Then to the large intestines and out the column and rectum to hopefully land safely into the toilet. You would think as another primate, oh, FYI, we are primates. Surprise! But not really a surprise, like, you should have known that. We would think the proboscis monkey's digestive system would be similar to our own. After all, great apes such as chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans, and bonobos do have similar digestive systems as we do. But the proboscis monkey, as well as other colubine monkeys, such as colobus and langur, has a digestive system very similar to that of the ruminant. And if you happen to check out the white-tailed deer and muntjack episode, then you probably have a better understanding of how this actually works. But for those slackers over there, 
Here it is for you in a nutshell. They have a multiple chamber stomach, three to four, and helping to break down the cellulose in the plants that they're eating, their belly is home to microorganisms that do the breakdown for them. The proboscis monkey's stomach has microorganisms called cellulolytic bacteria, or microorganisms, if you will, that, due to the plants, what they're digesting enzymes can't, and break down that fiber. Fun fact, this is called fermentation, kind of like how they make beer. And get this, as their little gut buddies die, or microorganisms, they go into the next stomach where the acid breaks them down so that the monkeys can have their protein. That means they don't really need to eat meat like bugs to get their protein. As long as they continue to feed their microorganisms buddies until they die, the proboscis monkeys are all set. However, there is a bit of danger in that beer belly and their specialized diet. Just like how your friend with IBS has to be careful with the food they shove down their gullet so not to upset the belly demons that live inside them, the proboscis monkey needs to do the same for their microorganism friends. If they eat the wrong stuff, it can fast-pace the fermentation process, meaning that those little microorganisms will release gas at a faster rate than the proboscis monkey's bodies can absorb and can lead to so much bloating that they can die. And because of their specialized and very particular diet, it makes it very difficult for zoos to properly care for them, which is why you don't really see them in zoos, as the goal of a good zoo is to provide the best care possible for all animals in their population. Those good zoos do a long and lengthy evaluation to ensure that they can provide the best welfare for any animal they introduce into their care. By the way, good zoos today don't take animals from the wild just for you to gawk at them. In the United States, zoos care for animals so to breed and hopefully grow their population in the wild, or to ensure that that animal doesn't go extinct due to habitat destruction or poaching. And I know this is just a bit off topic, but here's an example for you. Many zoos have rhinos, and rhinos are amazing! But because the poaching in Africa is so dangerous, if zoos were to release that rhino back into the African wilderness, there is a very high and likely chance that rhino is going to get killed just for its horn to be sawed off and sold on the black market. Therefore, even if the zoo with that rhino isn't planning on breeding that individual, they can still provide a safe and enriching life for that animal while at the zoo. Fun fact, a good zoo in the United States are facilities that are accredited by AZA, or the Association of Zoos and Aquarium. There'll be a link in the show notes if you want to learn more. I work at one of these zoos, by the way. In my opinion, and since it's my opinion, you can disagree with it, but I'd like to put it out there that as a person who fully understands the value of zoos and why they matter, the fact that the proboscis monkey's diet is so difficult to replicate in the zoo setting could actually be harmful to the species' survival. As I mentioned, one way zoos help preserve species is by breeding so to grow their population and to maintain genetic diversity. But if a zoo can't successfully breed, let's say due to not being able to provide the needed diet, such as the case with the proboscis monkey, then that species could very well go extinct. But don't worry, that isn't the case for every animal. In fact, if their habitat in the wild is plentiful, healthy, and unharmed, and their species is thriving in the wild, then there's not really a need for zoos to breed them or even offer their assistance. However, this is not the case for the proboscis monkeys, as they live along the waterways in Borneo, and Borneo's forests are being threatened due to deforestation. Half of their natural forest has been lost and continues to be taken away. 
All because people need their palm oil. Ooh, I want that palm oil. Please give it to me. Give me that palm oil. Palm oil. All right, let me tell you that even though palm oil isn't a lot of shit humans consume, you don't really need it. This weird-nosed monkey needs it to fuck. Like, literally, they fuck in the trees. And if they don't fuck, they don't make babies. And without babies, meaning that this weirdo is no more. And if there weren't weirdos, this world would be really boring and dull. We need the weirdos. And Barneo needs their weirdos to spread seeds in hopes for more plants to grow. Without weirdos, Borneo wouldn't be the amazing, unique place it is. RuPaul wouldn't exist. I'd probably have a bland pet rock instead of my cute weirdo dog that likes to lick the earwax out of my roommate's dog's ear. Weird is important. And the proboscis monkey is equally weird and equally important to its ecosystem. So do me a favor and download the sustainable palm oil app on your phone. Do it right now. Oh, I'll wait. I will wait. I have nowhere to be. And to make this even easier for you, I put the link in the show notes. So there you go, friends. This is created by Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. And all you have to do while at the grocery store is take a picture of the barcode of that five-pound Reese's peanut butter cup you've just got to have. And the app will tell you if it's used with sustainable palm oil. Spoiler alert! Reese's passes the test. And it's not just food. It's cleaning products. It's hair and skin products as well. You can still look beautiful and save the planet. RuPaul would be proud. By the way, this app is free. As is our final segment of the show. Scientific names are hard. Here is the scientific name of the proboscis monkey. <laughs> Nasalus. Nasal. Nas? NASA, Nasalus, Larvatus, Nasalus, Larvatus. I'm guessing that first part means nas- navel. Nasal? Nasal, not navel. Nasal, like the nose. Not navel, like the navel of your belly. Nasal, like your nasal cavity, because it's got a big nose. Yeah. Oh, I just realized I did not write a closing statement for this show. <laughs> Come to the end of my script. But I do want to thank everyone so much for listening. Please download that app. That app is important. It will help you, especially if you want to help save the planet and feel good about it. Yeah. You can follow us on Instagram at WAF Podcast in case you don't know what these animals look like. You know, because I don't always paint the most beautiful picture. Sometimes it's a weird picture, as it should be since this is a weird animal facts podcast. Yeah, like I said, I didn't write a closing statement. So thank you so much for hanging around and enough of this jibber-jabber. I'm out of here. Stay weird.